Uh, good morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead, open it up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, that's where we're going to be looking this morning. We are in our last week, final week of a series we've been doing the last couple months, looking at how our spiritual disciplines, things that are normally seen as private things that we do between us and God, actually have a direct impact on your neighbor. Things like meditating, fasting, simplicity that, that a lot of times we just think provide a benefit to me and my own spiritual life actually affect directly the people around you. And so today we're going to finish off our series by looking at a spiritual practice that we all encounter in our lives somewhere. So read with me Genesis 2, starting in verse 4, as we end our series today looking at renewed work and the practice of service. Starting in verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow from there that was pleasing to the eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Um, did you see the surprise in those verses? Uh, I didn't. For years and years, I read these verses that we just looked at right now and missed probably one of the biggest surprises to modern people in all of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 tell about the beginning of our world. When mankind lived in a world untouched by evil, unbroken by sin, a world of complete delight. That's literally what the word Eden means where every need, every need was satisfied, where every joy was found. And in this perfect world, Adam and Eve, the first parents, the first humans, ate and drank and played and punched a clock. In paradise, Adam and Eve this is probably the biggest surprise in all of the Bible. I mean, I've had, 
I've had certain jobs in, you know, in my life throughout the years that I would use many words to describe, paradise of which would surely not be one of them. And maybe this is a little bit surprising to you right now. You think about your work right now, and whether it's paid or unpaid, you've got a boss you don't like, you've got a job description you feel stuck in, you've got a glass ceiling you can't get above, you've got clients that are over-demanding, you've got hours that are always too long, and this is all, especially right now, as we're trying to do all of this from home with our Zoom call on mute so people don't hear our kids screaming right outside the door. Or maybe your work is in the home right now. You know, keeping your house, raising your kids who are running on a six-month recess deficit and probably have enough pent-up energy to power our homes for a day. You know, if my wife who's home right now with two kids under two is actually able to still be watching this live stream right now, that's proof that there is a God. And you know, we probably wouldn't call our work a present-day Garden of Eden. I mean, I mean, even if you love your job, love it, paradise. But the even bigger surprise, I think, to modern people like you and me reading this passage right now today, isn't just that in paradise, mankind worked, but for whom they were working for. Now, since the time we were kids, we were groomed to choose a profession by asking what job or career would most fulfill me, most satisfy my wants and happiness, most make me the most materially, materially successful and most utilize my gifts and abilities. And, it, and it's not that God is unconcerned with those things, but the bigger question that the, the biblical Christian understanding of work says we need to ask about our jobs is what profession can I most do that will increase the well-being of my neighbor? How can I, with my gifts, abilities, opportunities, provide the greatest benefit to the person next door to me? And this is... This is incredibly different than the way that us modern people today think about work, our profession, at home, or in a job. And so if we want to understand just exactly what the Bible's talking about here, if we want to understand the Christian view of work for our neighbor's good, then we got to go three places this morning. we got to start in a garden. Then we got to move to a village. And then third, we have to end in a city. So first, if we want to understand the Christian view of work for our neighbor's good, we have to start in a garden. You know, when we read the first two chapters of Genesis today, we, we read it asking this question, how did God make the world? But the, the bigger, more important question the Bible wants us to be asking is, why did God make the world? And the answer is, today especially, probably very shocking. Genesis 1 and 2 show us God in creating the world is actually building a temple, a place where he will eventually live in harmony with humanity. You know, this is part of the reason why on the seventh day, God rested. You know, in ancient cultures, rest was something that a God did when they were in their temple. And it's in this temple 
that God plants a garden, Eden, to be the sanctuary within his temple, the place of greatest intimacy with God. But this temple that we call earth, that God's building, isn't done yet. No, this is merely the start. He needs help. And so in order to finish completing this temple, God puts in his garden a gardener. Uh, In verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. Adam, first human, first person that's ever made, God puts in this garden that he's just made to be his worker, to be his gardener. This isn't some meaningless role that God gives him. You know, he doesn't make him, you know, an intern in the mail room, in the basement floor where he can't really touch anything important that he's going to screw up. No, God puts man in the garden to be his co-worker. In verse 5, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. God is creating a temple, earth, for the purpose of him eventually living with humanity on this earth. But verse 5 says that it's not move-in ready yet for God for two reasons. First, God hasn't sent rain. But second, man hasn't tilled the soil. God needs his coworker, man, us, to do something too. You know, God has given us, he's given you the role of a worker. He's created you like Adam to be his gardener, to be his coworker with him in preparing for him a place here on this earth. Now, he absolutely could do it all on his own, but he's, think about this, he's designed our world that we live in right now so that it won't reach its fullest potential without your lawful work. Your job, whether that's out in an office somewhere or in the home, through the way you spend your retirement, you, through all of these things, have been given the role of helping our world physically and socially reach its fullest potential possible. Even in a world that we live in today, that's shot through with sin and evil, where there's unjust systems in our work, where there's dehumanizing forms of labor, the Christian understanding of work, it puts infinite dignity and inherent significance into all the work that we do, from the least paid to the highest paid. And this demolishes any sort of hierarchy that we try to create in our jobs. Uh, The church in the Middle Ages... You know, following people like Aristotle, Plato, the Stoics, they, they created this hierarchy where they said there's two forms of work. There's sacred work of a monk, a priest for the spiritual elites. 
And then there's what they called the secular work, farming, building, baking, teaching, all of those things that were for lesser spiritual people. And they believed that the select few doing the sacred work were actually the ones working for God while everybody else was stuck in undignified work that had very little significance or value or worth in God's eyes whatsoever. It sounds a little outdated, but it's the same thing as when Christians say today, you want to do something for God? Go on a short-term missions trip. Volunteer at your church. Not saying there's anything wrong with those things at all, but what it's doing is creating again this hierarchy of work where it's saying there are certain jobs that you can do, certain things you can do that have worth in God's eyes, but your everyday work that you do has little value or significance to God. Genesis 2 flattens the hierarchies we try to create with our work by taking the, the so-called secular and making it sacred. You know, Genesis 2 is the reason why when God became a person in Jesus Christ, he spent half of his life as a small-town carpenter. There is equal value and dignity in all of our work. Meaning that, that when done in worship of God, the work that you do that seems unsophisticated, the job you can't get out of, the thankless role that you play in your company, the work that nobody sees you do throughout the day as a stay-at-home mom, all the way up to the high-profile jobs, the ones that we turn into TV shows and movies, all of our work from the simplest from the most sophisticated matters to God. So Christian understanding of work for our neighbor's good starts in a village. To understand it more than second, we need to move. Or sorry, starts in a garden. Second, we need to move to a village. Uh, verse 15 here in Genesis 2 gives the job description to mankind. It tells us what we are supposed to do through our work. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in a garden, in the garden of Eden, to work it and to take care for it. And there's two words in this verse here that's crucial for understanding our role as God's coworkers. So first, uh, where it says in verse 15 on the, on the back end, to work it, that's coming from the Hebrew word avad, which uh, is a common word used during that time to talk about tilling soil. And the second word, just coming after that, where it says to take care of it, comes from the Hebrew word shamar, which when it's used in this way, basically just means uh, to be in charge over something, to be in charge over this garden. And these two words essentially describe our work as cultivating God's world. Taking God's creation as we find it, and through our work, whether we're a teacher, an engineer, a handyman, a designer, a nurse, a lawyer, a mom, and to, to cultivate it, to develop God's world beyond where we found it. To make where we live a more inhabitable and pleasing place for everybody around us. Practically, relationally, socially, aesthetically, which in our world today that, that isn't Eden, sometimes means bringing order out of chaos and bringing justice from wrong. But verse 15 doesn't just show us 
what we do. More importantly, it shows us for whom we do it. Those two words, avad and shamar, when they're used together in the Old Testament, they're almost always used to describe the work of a priest. Serving and keeping and guarding and protecting God's temple. You know, underneath verse 15, there's this picture, this subtle picture that happens here that says, through our work, we're actually supposed to serve as priests over all of creation, over all of God's world through our work. Our work of, of cultivating God's world, of, of rearranging and developing it to draw out its maximum potential is so that other people would benefit it. Because think about it for a second. What's the point of a priest? A, a priest gets no benefit from their job other than for the fact that they are a part of a, a larger group of people. The point of a priest is they exist for somebody else, not themselves. God's point for your work is that it would benefit the village, not simply us, me, you individually, the villager. It's to, his point is for us to provide the most benefit possible to the person who lives next door to you. Yeah, Martin Luther understood the way this works perfectly. Uh, he once said, when praying for our daily bread, you're praying for everything that contributes to you having and enjoying your daily bread. You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not so far as the flour bin and baking oven, but also over the broad fields, the farmlands, and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread and all kinds of nourishment. What does he mean? Essentially what Luther means is this. When we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. You know, we don't just open our eyes and, oh my goodness, magically, you know, a, a warm, delicious loaf of rye bread has appeared right before me. No, God answers that prayer through the farmer, the truck driver, the baker, and since we're in a pandemic and no one's going to restaurants, the Uber Eats driver who brings it to you. He doesn't have to. But God's designed our work to give your neighbor his good gifts through our jobs. You know, as I was studying, preparing for this sermon a couple weeks ago, uh, three men were pretty much right where I'm standing right now for a couple days, putting in a new AC unit above me. You know what they were doing? God's work. Because it's Florida in the summer, and when your AC goes out, it's 79 degrees in your office. Your coworkers can only handle so much your sweaty smell all day. Our work of cultivating, developing God's world beyond where we found it is for the good of others. It's so that we would serve as priests through our work over all of creation. Your work of teaching is cultivating someone's mind. Your work as a designer is cultivating someone's imagination. Your work as a lawyer is cultivating our society. Your work as an engineer is cultivating someone's infrastructure. Your work as a stay-at-home mom is cultivating someone else's character. Your work as a doctor is cultivating someone's body. Your work as a handyman is cultivating someone else's home. Do you, do you see it? Do you get the point? All of our work was meant to benefit the village, not simply you, the villager.
So Christian understanding of work for our neighbor is good. If we want to understand this as modern people today, we, we have to start in a garden where we see the design of our work. Second, move to a village where we see the direction of our work. But third, end in a city where we find the deliverance for our work. Uh, everything that I've been saying up until this point uh, has probably sounded very inspiring, uh, interesting, maybe. Uh, I, you need to understand, though, this is the complete opposite way uh, of how we, by our nature, approach our work today. Uh, our, our natural approach isn't to work for others, isn't to see uh, our careers, vocations, jobs in the home or in a workplace as cultivating God's world for the most benefit of the people around me. No, our tendency is to work for ourselves. You know, we choose jobs thinking what will provide me the most personal fulfillment, material happiness, social status, and power possible. In other words, today, we, we view our work not as a way to serve our neighbor, but as a way to distinguish ourselves from our neighbor. Our work isn't cultivation anymore, it's competition with the person next door. And part of this is just a symptom of the, of the broader American Western culture that we live in right now. Traditional cultures, ancient cultures, you got a sense of self-worth in relation to how you serve the community. All right, the, the people in those cultures who were most valued were those who provided the most benefit to everybody else around them. And now, that could turn abusive, absolutely. But on the other hand, there, there, was, there was no heroic story in those cultures of competitive advancement of climbing the ladder despite the hours, despite the isolation, despite the relational damage, despite the cost to your family, all so you can just prove you're special. You know, today in America, we live in a meritocracy where we think success or failure is all determined by what you've done. Michael Sandel is a Harvard professor, wrote an article in the New York Times this last week Describing how our culture, in our culture today, if someone is only of a certain material means or has never progressed past uh, a certain role in their job or their career, we think it's all because there's something wrong with them. We think, surely, th this person is just lacking some set of skills or savvy that the rest of us successful people have. But it's actually, as Sandel says, it's become an embarrassment today for us to not be individually successful. That's why we skip high school reunions. Yet we use our work today to, as the sociologist Robert Bella describes, prove to us and everyone else around us, I'm not a loser. You know, it took a while of me reflecting on just my own life and my own problems and struggles that I have with, with overworking to see that in, in my extended family, there, there are some very clear uh, distinctions from those who made it and those who didn't. And I was going to work as hard as I possibly could to make sure I wasn't on the wrong side of that line. 
you know, work that was meant to benefit others has now become a tool that we use today for creating our own self-worth. And when we do that, our, our aggressiveness, that maybe at first was boldness, now just becomes rudeness. Our drive, that was at first hunger, now becomes burnout. Our, our self-reliance, that at first seemed like confidence to everyone around us, now just turns into isolation or at worst, self-loathing. And you know, maybe, maybe you're not success-driven. Maybe, you know, you're not caught in this race of upward mobility. You know, maybe you're working a job that's not your calling. Or you'd say, I, I am in my calling, but I've, I've never really made it very far in it. Or especially right now in our, in our pandemic, you can't even find work. And it's depressing. And part of that's not wrong to feel. You know, work was meant to create not ultimate significance in our lives, but it, we, we were meant to find some bit of purpose and significance through it. And so the absence of that, naturally, is going to make us depressed and questioning things and frustrated. But when it becomes crushing, when it fills you with bitterness, when it fills you with shame that you don't want to show your head to anyone that you went to high school or college with, you don't want to be around the same group anymore because you're embarrassed of where you're at, it's because whether we realize it or not, we're expecting something from our work that it was never meant to give us, a self-worth that at the end of the day, we can stand up and say, look at me, I'm not a loser. You know, whether we're climbing the ladder or at the bottom of the ladder, our natural inclination is to work for the good of ourselves, not the good of others. And the reason that we're the reason that we're stuck in this cycle is because the first worker failed. You know, Adam in the garden, just after the passage we looked at, sinned. And when he did, God put a curse on our work. Now our work is futile, is frustrating is selfish. Now, we're, now we're, not, we're not cultivating God's world, but we actually end up degrading God's world. Meaning that the, the whole point of our work in the first place, which was to make this world a more inhabitable place for God to come and live, we actually, through our sin and work, make it a less inhabitable place for him. Our, our only hope, if we have any, is that there would be a new worker that there could be a perfect worker who would deliver us from our sin for our work. And in Jesus Christ, we see this new man, this new Adam, this better Adam, who rejected competitive advancement but took on the form of a servant who didn't strive for upward mobility, but lived a life that Henry Nouwen says of downward mobility, who didn't work for self, but came saying, my work is to do the will of my heavenly father who sent me, who unlike Adam doesn't come bringing disobedience that reverberates destruction out to all of us, but instead perfect obedience that brings life whose blessing is greater than Adam's curse and whose work through the death and resurrection 
was only and always meant to bring the maximum benefit possible to those who embrace it by faith. It's this Jesus, this second Adam, this perfect worker that that St. Paul in Romans 5 says, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who've received God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so through the obedience of that one man the many will be made righteous. You want to know what that last little word there, made righteous, means? It means that now, through Jesus Christ, the most significant person in the whole universe looks at you and says, you'll never be a loser to me. Because his son, the second Adam, the perfect worker, obeyed in every way that we haven't and died for every way that we've disobeyed. And when we believe in that, God now looks at you and sees the perfect job performance of his son. I mean, you you wanna know what the gospel is? The gospel is the end of every meritocracy we've ever tried to create. It gives you a self-worth that's based entirely on the merits of another person who held nothing back but in his cross gave up everything he had, everything so that you could know the affirmation of his father. And what does that do? It frees us. It frees us from working for self to working for the good of others. It means that now in our jobs, we can experience success and stay humble. We can work an unseen role, but not become bitter. We can be in a job description that we don't like and stay content. We can stop, in other words, thinking about ourselves at work and start thinking about all other people, all because through Jesus, the only person in the universe whose opinion has ever really mattered, God looks at you and says, through my son, you're never a loser to me. Through this new worker, this perfect worker, we can now work for the good of our neighbors as we look forward to his return where the Apostle John tells us in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. When this second Adam, when this greater worker, Jesus, returns, he will do the work that we never could to rid this world of the sin and evil outside of us and inside of us so that God will finally live with us in his temple, earth. 
the garden that in the end becomes a city where we will finally enjoy the pleasure of each other's work and the presence of Christ's love. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good gift of our work, even in a world broken by sin and evil. You still call us to work for the good of those around us. Holy Spirit, we pray today that you'd help us all, whether at home or in our jobs, to work through the second Adam, the perfect order, worker, the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his cross gives us a self-work, that worth that frees us from working for ourselves. And in his city that he will bring, will finally complete this temple where God will dwell with us and we will work for him and others forever. Amen.